0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA admissions podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, February 14th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, happy Valentine's Day.
1: I was gonna start with that too, how about that?
0: (laughs) So is this celebrated in the UK?
1: (laughs) Is it celebrated in the UK? If I don't celebrate it, I'm in a lot of trouble.
0: <laughs> so, okay, what's what? I know that we're recording this in advance, but do you have something already in the works or no?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I went to Tesco's yesterday, got some chocolate, card, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Good. That's funny. Um, so, what else is going on, though? I know last week was we thought it would be kind of a quiet week in between the kind of Harvard interviews. And then I know there's, you know, some other schools issuing this coming week, but we had some news last week, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Booth dropped their interview invites all all in one go. And Booth is, is, they never really tell you when this is gonna happen, but you can suspect when it's gonna happen. And, And last week, I think was a pretty good bet that it would happen and it did happen. So lots of activity surrounding the outcomes of of obviously Harvard and and Ross, now Booth. But we're waiting again on Valentine's Day today for, for Wharton to sort of drop its interview invites. And yeah, we're pretty much, I'd say, at the peak of interview invite season at this point, Graham.
0: Yeah. And that actually is a good segue because I did want to mention that we have a lot of stuff on the website that's totally free and and available and, and, in, and on this podcast as well. So we've done articles and podcast episodes about the five most common MBA interview questions that you might receive. We also did one, and I think these are both just maybe with you, Alex and, and Jeanette, our, our colleague um, that that used to host the podcast from time to time. You did one about the seven hardest mba interview questions and like how to answer them so those are good episodes and i believe there are articles that accompany them on the website we've got articles about knowing your interviewer like what you know is it a um, a a student is it an alum Uh, is it an admissions officer and what does that mean in terms of how you prepare Um, We even, I think, have a piece on how to say thank you after an interview has happened and all all the kind of anything you'd really want to know. So just check out, you know, the admissions tips on our website. There are a handful of podcast episodes about interviewing as well, including specific episodes we've recorded about interviewing at Wharton for the team-based discussion and interviewing at HBS where they have a, you know, kind of a non-blind, fairly challenging interview process. But yeah, Alex, any thoughts on interview prep since we're talking about it?
1: yeah i mean just to expand on the resources that we have graham obviously we have the interview archive which is the the largest mba admissions interview archive on the internet mm-hmm. it probably covers what twenty twenty five programs with interview questions over the last sort of several years now mm-hmm. um and and as well as interview guides so there's no Uh, reason you should go into an interview without feeling that you have the resources and access to fully prepare and the more you prepare the more relaxed you can be in the interview I mean I'm I'm a huge believer in over preparation allows you to enjoy the experience
0: yeah and to be yourself and we hear you know I know that people are getting sick of it yeah on these events that we do, people talk, you hear the admissions officers saying it time and time again, please just be your authentic self. You know, we hear that like over and over again. And I think it's a lot easier to be your authentic self if you've like prepared a lot and are ready to kind of answer the questions and can do so in a way that's not stilted. The worst thing on earth is when you get on an interview with someone and you can tell that they've got like some kind of a cheat sheet off screen since most of these interviews are happening, you know, via video and that they're, they're kind of reading from something or they're just not comfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, I would argue you need to be able to go into the interview without a cheat sheet handy and know the stuff cold so that you can be you um, and satisfy, you know, both the admissions officers need to feel like you're being authentic and your own need to make sure you're saying the right stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's, yeah, good luck to everyone who is prepping right now. We, you know, Alex and I know what that's like. We've been on both sides of the table there um, between the two of us. So, yeah, good luck to everyone there. Over on the website, Alex, we did run a Real Humans piece on ESADE, which is a school in Barcelona, a really good business school with a a number of key strengths. One of them is marketing, comes to mind right away for me. And so check that out if you're interested in their program. We profiled three students, learned all about their journey. And I feel like the three students arrived in Barcelona from, uh, I want to say, South Korea, Lebanon... And the USA, so three really different journeys to get um, to Esade, but pretty cool piece that we ran. And then the other thing, Alex. Yeah,
1: hold on, I got to call you on that, Graham. You're bragging, aren't you? Because you've actually read this piece.
0: I read it. Yeah, I did. Read, <laughs> well, I nice. mean, you know, I try to read the stuff that we that we put up on the site. Uh, but yeah, no, it was um, it was a good piece. And the other thing is that we have another employment report. Uh, we continue to run these out, and we're also very close to running some. Amazing content that the team has been preparing. I know Alex and I have been sort of previewing this for weeks, but um, it is forthcoming. We've been doing a lot of really interesting stuff with career placement. But this week we've got Berkeley. They published their employment report for the class of 2021. And Alex, uh, the median, or sorry, the average salary for graduates was 143. Berkeley tripped me up a little bit because they had the median listed at 149 and normally we see average, but it's so average. If we're doing apples to apples, it's 143. Uh, signing bonus, the average was $33,000. 90% of their students had offers uh, for work within three months of graduation. And let's see, Alex. Do you want do you want me to do the uh, industry percentages or the or the regional placement information first?
1: Throw, throw both of them out there. What's the biggest region and what's the biggest industry?
0: Okay, so tech leads the way for industries. Thirty four percent of the graduates um, of that class who were looking for work uh, went into tech. Uh, the next biggest was consulting with twenty eight percent, and then there's a pretty steep drop off. You get to finance twelve percent, healthcare seven, CPG six. So those are the kind of industries. And then on the regional placements, a whopping 73% of graduates who are looking for work uh, landed on the West Coast. The next biggest category looks to be the Southwest with 6% of graduates. And remember, that includes Texas. So that's that market. And then the Northeast is next with 5%. And you've got, you know, uh, Midwest 3%. Mid-Atlantic, similar, 3%. And then the South um, is 1%. So I did add up those numbers and realized they don't add up to 100. And and that's because 9% of the class did head off to jobs overseas. So that's kind of the um, way to think of it. Although... You know, when you look at this, you say, wow, 73% staying on the West Coast, 9% go international. Those are the two biggest buckets, actually. So your chances of, you know, coming back to the East Coast are, you know, they're pretty small. It's like a 5%, you know, group that's doing that. Now that could be self-selection too, though. So we never know what's driving that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of it is self-selection, but it is super interesting. And as you said, Graham, We've been doing a lot of in-depth analysis on these employment reports in preparation of releasing a lot of material probably in the next two to three weeks regarding this. But one nugget of insight that I learned in the last couple of days of reviewing some of this material is if I'm about to launch a brand new business school, which coast am I going to build this business school, Graham? (laughs) West Coast or East Coast?
0: I think the West Coast, because it's underserved if you look at the number of programs out there versus jobs.
1: It's amazing, it's amazing. The number of um, folks that go to top tier programs on the West Coast versus the number that go to work on the West Coast post their MBA program, the discrepancy is really interesting. I thought these numbers from Berkeley were very interesting, um, obviously that 73% West Coast doesn't surprise me at all based on what we learned um, through that sort of little experiment that I just talked about. Also tech at 34%, interesting to compare that with Stanford, um, Graham, the other obviously big program, or, or not big in terms of class size, but but top tier program. In that region, they're at twenty nine percent. What? How do you compare those two data points, Graham?
0: Yeah, it is interesting because you know you would think, oh, Stanford's going to have the largest placement in tech. But when we went and looked at the numbers before we came on air, we saw that actually, and I think some of our listeners remember this, but you know, finance was the biggest industry for Stanford at thirty three percent of placements. But again, I think that's because there's a lot of folks going into venture capital and private equity out of Stanford, and so that kind of boosts that finance number. And then techs at twenty nine percent, so not (laughs) Thank you. the <laughs> cat so far off from Berkeley's number, you know, I mean, Berkeley's at 30, what was it, 34%, right? So, yeah, so just interesting to see that. And then remember, you know, there are a lot of people at Stanford who are not looking for jobs because they're going off to do their own thing. And and so that some of that stuff may be tech, may not. I mean, the school may not have full information on all that at the time that they're doing these reports. So.
1: Yeah, that that's sort of the notion they're going off into entrepreneurship. You can make an assumption that a good chunk of that entrepreneurship is gonna be tech related. Yeah. But probably fits into a different bucket. Yeah, it is really interesting, and and again, I don't want to keep sort of teasing out this content we're going to produce in the next two to three weeks. But when we look at Stanford and and a couple of other schools at the very top, their placement into buy side, finance versus sell side is. What really allows them to stand out, I think.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. We've also got, we ran a piece on round three applications and like reasons to apply in round three. So check that out on the website. If you're contemplating a round three application or a late round application to business school, this actually may not. On that
1: note, Graham, sorry to keep interrupting you. (laughs) No, no. Should folks apply in round three? What are we hearing? What is your sense of The app pools from rounds one and two.
0: The volume's down this year. And so I think, you know, business schools would love to see quality candidates showing up in round three that they could plug some holes in their class with. I think you know, they'll probably dip into their round one wait list quite substantially as they make decisions. Um, so that bodes well for anyone that's tuning in here who's already on a wait list. But I do think there are going to be some opportunities in round three. And, you know, again, there's no harm in applying. And if you don't get in, you can always apply in you know early rounds next year. So yeah, this is not a bad year. The COVID bump has sort of run its course, it seems. And now that the job market's so hot, Uh, MBA application volume has been off a bit. So I I think there's opportunities this year to be in this final round.
1: I would even argue, Graham, that that COVID bump last year, or whenever you put it, encouraged candidates that would have applied this year ordinarily to apply last year. So what it's done, rather than the COVID bump getting necessarily more candidates into the pipeline, it's shifted when candidates apply. And if that is the case, then yes, numbers this year will be down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's probably been some just shifting of the demand instead of increasing of the demand. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out, but check that article out on the site. The other thing I wanted to mention on the podcast, we did a kind of a separate episode where I sat down with Chris Healy, who is from Alliance Manchester Business School in the UK, and he and I just did a primer on MBA program types. So we wanted to just sort of like go to, you know, kind of step one, like what kinds of MBA programs are there from part-time, full-time or executive versus, you know, working professional versus full-time, you know, kind of uh, young professional we've got, uh, we, we kind of tried to really break it all down and, and help people who are maybe just getting started on their journey, try to try to determine what kind of program is right. We talked about different you know, delivery methods from hybrid, online, all that kind of stuff too. And Chris, I don't know if you know him, but he's been working in this space for more than 15 years and knows a lot about business schools and program types. And so he was a good guest to have on to help me go through that stuff. So you can tune into that. It's up on the feed here. And yeah, I think that's about it. We we're finally done with uh, some of those events that we were doing. And, and I know there's gonna be, some more online events coming up in, I think in in April or May we'll do some you know early bird type events for candidates and we've got a whole amazing group of schools signed up already to to help join us for these events. But stay tuned, we'll get more word on that. Alex, there have been no reviews, uh, so I got nothing in the mailbag. Although I did notice that we now have an official rating on Spotify uh, the other day. Wow. Yeah, you know it, the way that it was set up was that you could rate the show, but until we got a certain number of people chiming in. I guess, you know, they weren't going to display. Because obviously, once you and I had voted, you know, a couple of times five stars, you know, they're not going to let that slip through, right? So they have to wait for a bunch of real people to come in and vote. And yeah, apparently, I, I can't remember what it said, but something like 30 or 40 people had voted. And I think we have five stars. So... That, that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's
1: excellent. I wouldn't even know how to rate.
0: <laughs> no, I know. I don't I use... got
1: to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I don't use it. Obviously, they've been in the news for other reasons uh, lately. So we'll probably steer clear of all that controversy. But uh, but yeah, they we we do have a rating there now. So I appreciate everyone who's tuning in on Spotify who managed to rate our show. And uh, yeah, just cool. But we do always appreciate hearing from you. So please send us your emails at info at clear admit Dot com. Use the subject line wiretaps and Alex or myself will get back to you. We just love to hear your stories. Any questions you have, send them our way.
1: Or send a voice memo and we'll we'll play it, whatever it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did that last week. So
1: as long as it's not related to COVID information, because we don't need a warning label on our podcast.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I guess that's all the housekeeping stuff. So should we get into the candidates that you've picked out, Alex?
1: Let's kick on.
0: All right. So this is wiretaps Candidate number one. So, this candidate is looking to apply in 2023 to start in 24. So, a real early bird candidate, and they've got five schools on their target list. And those schools are Harvard, MIT, NYU Stern, uh, Washington Foster, and UT Austin McCombs. And they've been working in manufacturing, but they'd like to shift into consulting or tech. And some of the companies they have on their list for target uh, post MBA are Carney, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, and McKinsey. They have a 770 on the GMAT. Alex, you'll recall we used to write GBGM. What was it? No, yeah, GBGMAT uh, next to those in the file when we used to hand <laughs> read all these files, which stood for Great Big GMAT. So 770 on the GMAT, 3.58 GPA and three years of work experience at this point. They're located in Houston, Texas, and post-MBA, they list Seattle and Denver as target uh, landing points. So interesting there. They wanted to know if we had any advice for them as to how they might improve their profile before they apply in the fall of 23. They offered some additional details. They mentioned they have a uh, BS in chemical engineering and econ. I guess they did a year as a product management intern and then three years of professional experience as a chemical engineer in the manufacturing sector. They also do some extracurricular work. They're a mentor for underprivileged high schoolers, but they don't have a well-defined leadership role there. So I think they're just looking for advice. like How can they set themselves up for success with these target schools when they do apply down the road?
1: Yeah, no. I I mean, this is a great candidate, quite honestly, in terms of a lot of potential here like you say, great GMAP, GPA is fine, you know, chemical engineering is a tough major, so a, a 358 um, with a 770, I mean, that, that sort of really allows them to stand out, I think. And, you know, they have three years of experience. It looks like they're planning to apply in a couple more years, so we'll debate if that makes sense in a minute, I suppose. But certainly their big question, Graham, is how can they show and demonstrate leadership? They're in a very technical role, working at the firm they're working at now for three years and they do stuff in their extracurriculars they mentor underprivileged high schoolers which i think is absolutely fantastic but not with a defined sort of leadership role so i'll just toss it back to you graham and put you on the spot a little bit what are some of the things that this candidate can do to articulate leadership and leadership aptitude
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's tough because I don't have a good sense of, you know, the environment in which they're working, but I would say, you know, I would start at work. That would be the first place I would look. Are there any additional kind of initiatives they could pursue? You know, sometimes you see someone in a technical role, but then they, they end up doing something that's maybe not even directly related to their day-to-day job, but in the office. So organizing an event or some kind of a a group of colleagues to focus on I, I don't know, you know, women in business or or whatever it is, right? There could be different, um, or maybe it's like, hey, get a bunch of people at my company together to participate in the work that this candidate's been doing with underprivileged high schoolers. You know, so there could be ways to demonstrate that you're able to organize people at, in the office to do things outside the office. You know, it doesn't have to be, Leading a project. Although, with that said, if they've been there for a few years, and you know, presumably maybe the company—I uh, don't know if they have clients or you know customers—or I, I would hope that there's a way for them to get some sort of client-facing or customer-facing experience, or yeah, just to the extent that they can continue to to grow in their role and i don't know if they're managing anyone but that would be another thing you know obviously you know taking on a direct report or two or even managing interns can be a nice way to show some leadership so those are a few things that come into my mind off you know just off the top of my
1: head yeah no, i think that's those are really good suggestions quite honestly and even just from a project management standpoint you know working on a project that has certain deliverables that um, have impact in the organization, in the company, as well as for a client. I mean, there are ways to sort of weave that into a sort of leadership narrative, I think. But this does seem to be this candidate's sort of, I'm not saying Achilles heel, but they think it's their Achilles heel. The question is, how do they frame this stuff? Because as we we talked about before we came on air, Graham, does this candidate need to wait two more years before they apply? Or should they apply this upcoming season, take a shot, apply only to top schools, and if they're not successful, wait that additional year?
0: Yeah, because I actually think that these numbers that they have, the 770 and let's call it a 36, I mean, they're really excellent numbers. And, you know, they have ample work experience with the three years they've had to date. I actually think this person could get in to some of these schools on their list if they were to apply this coming fall. And so now, do they have the leadership chops to make it into, say, HBS? You know, hard to say. But again, I think some of that just could really be up to what they do over the next few months even. And so I would really encourage this person to think about um, moving up the timeline a bit. I did want to talk about one other thing, which is they talk about wanting to do operations or strategy consulting in Seattle or Denver. I just wanted to understand, like, why those two cities... And if it's just personal reasons, fine. But if there is something specific, like maybe they're really interested in, I know, you know, out of Denver, there's a lot of kind of outdoors related industry happening or out of Seattle, obviously you have Amazon and some interesting operations challenges and there's a port. And I mean, there's a lot of things that could be happening in that region, but I would love to know more about like, what are they looking to do? Because that's the other thing that's potentially missing here is like, I get it. it's a natural move to go from engineering into kind of consulting or something. And even operations makes a lot of sense, but it'd be cool if there was somewhat of a theme here, like maybe, I don't know, maybe they love the outdoors or like, is there something driving this that would give their candidacy just a little more flavor? Because I, you know, I, I do think there is this fear of, okay, uh, engineer great marks and things, but is there more, are, are there more dimensions to this candidate? And so I would work on that as well because I think it was uh, the former admissions director before Chad Losey uh, was this woman named uh, Deirdre uh, Leopold at Harvard. And she once told me, you know, they they sometimes ask people, what are you reading? Or, you know, in an interview and, you know, people often trot out the usual uh, nonfiction kind of business stuff. And she was like, I was always, you know, kind of, surprised when someone said something like, Oh, I just finished reading the 12th night by Shakespeare, you know, it's because she was always on the lookout for people who are kind of multi dimensional, and had, you know, different interests. So I would encourage this person to think about that, you know, maybe they're an outdoors nut, they love hiking, skiing, whatever it might be, that would make sense for Seattle and Denver. Or maybe it's just a spouse, or you know, kind of family connections. I don't know. But anyway, they could do more to round out their candidacy. But I still think they probably should just apply this coming season.
1: What are you reading, Graham?
0: <laughs> right now, uh, oh, what is it called? I'm reading a totally trashy novel called "The Luckiest Girl Alive." It's about a, a woman who went to private school in the Philadelphia suburbs and moves to New York City and tries to like make it with the high rollers in New York. It's real. it's actually really funny. <laughs> excellent, yeah, excellent. So, <laughs> yeah, what about you? You're reading something that's nonfiction, I'm certain of it.
1: Um, I actually I actually <laughs> just finished a book written by a friend of mine about a racehorse run with a mighty heart, absolutely fantastic, her first mm. um, book. So I really enjoyed that. Now I'm reading a, a really sort of dense 600 page book <laughs> that's related to all this sort of fascism and various other, things that are going wrong with the world. And it's sort of, yeah, looking back at sort of, you know, anyway, uh, discriminated populations and stuff. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I try to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> right now I'm having a bit of a headache trying to get through about, you know, a couple of hundred pages a week just to get the book read so I better understand this stuff.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I did, you know, when you were talking about this candidate and chemical engineering, I did come up with an idea for a t-shirt for you. It should just say something like chemical engineers are wicked smart. Cause that's what you often would say when we talk about that.
1: They're certainly wickedly smarter than I am. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think this person, I mean, I really do think this candidate could get into any number of schools on their list, yeah. including HBS um, yeah. with the right sort of strategy.
1: And we suggest they target Wharton and Kellogg as a couple of other programs to sort of beef up their M7. Yeah. And especially if they decide to apply a year earlier, because as a, as someone applying a year earlier, only apply to the very best if you're not successful, you come back as a reapplicant.
0: Yeah. 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 Agreed. Um, and I do think it's smart. They have foster on the list. Yeah. If they potentially want to be in Seattle, like I can't think of a a better place to go. Right. So that's good to have on there, but yeah, I wish this person the best of luck. Thank them for, for sharing their post. but let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that we've received. This person's actually um, applied and is, you know, in process. And so they they applied to Columbia, Duke, NYU, and Vanderbilt. And they've been working in asset management uh, prior to, you know, applying to business school here. And they want to get into investment banking or maybe VC or even private equity after business school. They have a 690 on the GMAT, a 3.7 GPA, and they've been working for nine years. Uh, they're in New York, presumably New York City and they did share some additional details um, essentially they applied I, I guess in round two or it may, it may have been even earlier and they mentioned that um yeah maybe it was round one because they mentioned they're on the wait list at duke after interviewing there and they have completed an interview with vanderbilt owen still waiting decision there and they have not heard anything yet from stern or uh what was the other one columbia so that's where they stand now I don't know, what are your thoughts? Like, obviously, they've got this waitlist at Duke, they're in process at Vanderbilt, and sort of crickets for Columbia and Stern. But what do you make of this candidacy? I mean, they, they've got nine years of experience, 690, 37. What's your take?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, getting on the waitlist in round one is not ideal um, at Duke. But as we talked about before, you know, in, in the preamble for, for this show, maybe being on the waitlist from round one is not such a bad thing.
0: Not this year, yeah.
1: Given the app <laughs> volumes are going to be down now. They didn't know that necessarily in round one um, in terms of the drop-off in round two, if that's where the app volume has dropped off. So I would anticipate programs like Duke will go quite deep into their waitlist. Why is that? Because it's a bit of a pyramid scheme, right? Or or it's a bit of a pyramid. <laughs> if, a top, if a very top program goes to their waitlist, then the programs in the next tier down have to go to their wait list because they're drawing candidates from those programs, et cetera, et cetera. So really for this candidate, they've not heard from Stern and, and, and Columbia. Um, I'm not saying that they're, they're only going to hear bad news from this point on, but, you know, maybe that's not a particularly good thing, but Duke is something to really focus on. What is their waitlist strategy With this 690 GMAT, if they think that they can improve that, even if it's only by 10 points, I would really encourage them to retake the GMAT. Why is that? It does two things. One is potentially they can improve the score and that that sort of elevates their overall profile. But secondly, it shows to Duke, uh, to Fuqua, that they're trying to do all the right things to get off the wait list, one of which might be, improving that test score because it's going to be below Duke's average but also a a couple of other sort of data points that we have from their apply wire entry that nine years of experience they really need to show again that they're going to make the most of the MBA experience so oftentimes older candidates are perceived to be candidates that only show up to the classes and don't fully engage so they want to show that they'll fully engage and make sure that their goals, as stated right now, investment banking, venture capital, private equity, make sure that their goals are tight and and reasonable for the schools that they're targeting. But if I was this candidate, I would hope that they're going to get an admission option at Owen. I would really, really push the Duke Fuqua wait list. And yeah, possibly they get some options at Stern and Columbia. But to me, Duke, let's go for that.
0: Yeah. And I guess, the, you know, as far as the GMAT's concerned, I think a lot of it comes down to, have they taken it five times already? And the 690 was kind of the, you know, the the final effort to, and, and the best result they've got, or is this, they, they took it once in which case they risk falling into that, oh, this is an older cat, you know, candidate who's a little bit out of touch with their academic chops and, you know, would really benefit from going back and, and taking it a second time or, you know, even just prepping and, and redoing the test. So uh, yeah, I think it would go a long way. Like if they ended up, you know, crossing the 700, mark, they probably could convert that Duke wait list. I think they also need to do some other things though. I I think, you know, write the love letters or whatever you want to call it to sort of point out to Duke, you know, that they're really, um, they're going to matriculate if accepted that, they know, you know, that maybe they've been doing some additional research, talking with current students or alumni and, and figuring out that career path. I would focus more on investment banking and maybe other finance related roles than, say, PE or VC, because I think those are a little bit more far and few between coming out of uh, some of the MBA programs. I think it's, it's challenging. So in any event, there there are things they could do. We have a whole guide that we've written about waitlist strategy. I would definitely encourage this person to go full court press because, you know, I I think Fuqua is an excellent program. And if this person could convert there, that would be phenomenal. I expect that they'll get an offer at Owen. And, you know, hard to say with Columbia and, and NYU Stern. I mean, the fact that they're waitlisted at Fuqua which you could argue is you know, maybe similarly ranked to Stern or you know, in a notch below CBS or something. I mean, that, that means that they could get bad news potentially from these New York schools. So it's hard to know. And that's why I agree with you. Go for it on the wait list at Duke for now and, and sit tight and see what happens with
1: Vanderbilt. Totalitarianism. That's the name of the book I'm reading. <laughs> yes.
0: All right. Um, excellent. So I think, yeah, I think enough said on this candidate, but I, I appreciate them sharing their, you know, their kind of profile and, and current situation. And, and you know, again, there are things they can do. Um, read our waitlist guide or, you know, we have a lot of tips on the website too about it, but I think there are things they can do to up their, to up their chances. And I think this is a good year to have been waitlisted early on in the cycle because as you said, Duke's going to definitely go to that list. So
1: I would think so. Best of luck to them for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's Candidate number three. So this uh, third entry for the week is a Decision Wire entry. The candidate, as usual, is undecided, and wait do you hear this dilemma, Alex. They have been, uh, well, they applied to Berkeley, Columbia, Harvard, NYU, Stanford, and Yale. And they ended up with offers at Berkeley, where they have a full ride, $175,000 scholarship. They got into Columbia with 160 uh, dollars NYU gave them $50,000, Stanford they were accepted um, as well, but without any uh, aid. Uh, as you remember, Stanford uses need-based aid and they've indicated that they're not getting any because they have a lot of savings. So. Um, And then Yale admitted them without a scholarship. So they basically ran the table and got money. The only exception being Harvard um, did not accept them. So pretty good results there. Um, They want to work as an entrepreneur after business school. Their GRE was a 328, GPA a 35. They're located currently in Los Angeles. And they're really debating, they say at this point, between Stanford, Columbia with 160k and then Haas with a total free ride at 175k. So it comes down to that. They're currently a mechanical engineer. They really want to do entrepreneurship with maybe a fallback as kind of a tech PM or, or, you know, strategy person. If that doesn't work, they love California. They also love New York. They said they're leaning strongly towards Stanford, but they're frightened by the price tag. So any where do we start, Alex? What, what, do you th- what do you make of this dilemma? Is it a dilemma at all?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think it's a classic dilemma. You get a load of money from one school and get no money from a school in a tier or two above. I think Elliot would articulate, what, what would you regret most, giving up the Stanford opportunity or giving up the 170K or whatever the price difference is. He used that sort of as a, as a way to debate this on, on another discussion. And I think it's a difficult challenge. I mean, obviously, this candidate sort of talked a little bit about why they're not eligible for financial aid at Stanford, because they've done a very good job of saving money over the years, which right. is unfortunate for them. <laughs> so that's a little bit of a, a paradox there, I think. Um, but it's difficult. But what I've just done, Graham, as you were talking, is I went to Decision DecisionWire, I selected Haas and Stanford as admits um, in the filters. So all the decision-wire entries that we have of those cross-admits, some of them are still, obviously, they're undecided posts, but others have have selected you know their enrolled school. What percent do you think of those are going to Haas?
0: <laughs> I think it's small. I think most people will go to Stanford.
1: Yeah, Stanford or Harvard, because obviously if they're cross-admitted at Stanford and Haas, they might also have gotten admitted at Harvard. So yeah, it's Stanford over Harvard, none for Haas. And we're talking maybe 20. Well, it's probably not 20 final decisions, but um, probably 15 or so final decisions. So hunting around on decision-wise, looking for folks that made the similar choice might be a way to sort of break the tie. But it is a dilemma, because if you want to be an entrepreneur like this, this person, I think you're weighing up well, that 170 k or whatever it is could give you a lot more freedom to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. The other side of that coin is that Stanford network and the access Stanford provides might well be the best place to become the entrepreneur you want to become. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, those are the two considerations. And, you know, 10, 20 years time, I'm sorry, but I'd have to say Stanford's the choice.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma, and I actually want to mention that um, someone someone left a comment on this post that said, I hope Alex and Graham cover this on their podcast, because I imagine a lot of other candidates often decide between full ride at Haas versus sticker price at GSB. So, um, and there are a bunch of other factors that come into this discussion around, wow, what's, you know, what are the merits of need-based aid versus merit-based aid, right? So that's a whole other, we could probably do an entire podcast on that. I think um, for me, what I would really want to ask this candidate to try to separate out is, you know, what's it like, there's a difference between the money. Like if we're making this decision purely based on money, then you go to Haas, you put the 175K or, you know, this big retirement savings that this person um, already has, and you you invest it and you say, you know what, that time value money, I'm going to save that money and I'll, I'll go to Haas. It's a fantastic MBA program. If money is the main kind of factor then, you know, I, I think someone could very much make this kind of compelling case that why, you know, why not just go where it's free, you know, but we know that we're talking about your life, and you're going to spend two years in an MBA program. And, you know, you might try to start your own company. And and so there are all these other factors that have to come in. And I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, I do look back to my own experiences. Um, I had scholarship dollars at some schools that were lower down on the list. Um, I didn't get Um, I got like a tiny bit of aid, um, at Wharton and, you know, I haven't looked back and said, oh man, if I had, you know, saved that money, where would I be to like, it's not, it's never even been a question. So I just would encourage this person to think about it. And, and I think you said something very funny before we came on air, Alex, which was, you were kind of like, well, if this person's done such a great job saving, like, well, what have they been saving it for? You know, can you think of anything better to spend it on? I mean, this is a pretty good, um, endeavor to spend, (laughs) to spend money on and, I, yeah, I have to think that they're gonna land on their feet out of Stanford, even if they are a little bit in debt um, or have to spend some of that savings. I just, it's not an obvious call, but I think that it is worth debating. Yeah. This just comes down to their comfort level. Everyone has a different comfort level with finances. So,
1: Just one final thing that I, I just throw out there. And this might sound a little elitist. I don't want it to come across as being elitist. Um, but oftentimes lost in these conversations is simply the quality of people you're gonna be surrounded by or with or whatever over the next couple of years. And at Stanford, I'm sorry, but there is gonna be a slight difference between that quality at Stanford than there would be at Haas. Even though Haas is an outstanding program, Stanford is the very elite, Stanford-Harvard, right at the very elite um, level. So the type of folk you're gonna be, hanging out with for two years is absolutely going to be amazing at Stanford.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that is something that and and that's why I think it was Elliot put, put a post up on the website saying, you know what, go to the admit admitted students events online or or otherwise and, and get to know these communities and, and see what you think. Yeah. Because they're, they're not exactly the same. And yeah, I, I think it's worth doing the the investigation here. But I do want to wish this person the best of luck with their startup and with their, whatever they end up doing after business school. And again, no wrong answer here. I know we didn't really talk about the CBS option, but I just felt like, I don't, I don't know, it just seemed like from what they're saying all signs point to one of the two California options. Yeah. I mean, that that was my take on this. So we'll kind of leave it there. Again, I love these posts. It's fun to debate them. There's never a right answer. I don't want anyone to think that we're saying you have to go to one or the other, but it is, it is really fun to debate these uh, champagne problems, as we would call them. Um, but Alex, we've reached the end of a, another week's Wiretaps. Appreciate you picking out all these candidates to discuss, and we'll do it all over again next week, if you're willing.
1: Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.